imagine all the bindings, everything that keeps us in the material world, all the misgivings, all the misfortune, all the fears, anxieties that come with our physical existence, all those things cut to pieces and fruit of action is terminated. What's that mean? Terminate means, means that we're not going to be forced by the laws of karma, by the cycle of samsara, repeated birth and death. All that can be cut when we can see the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Whoa, wow. How do you see God? That seems like a big task, doesn't it? How do you see God? How can we, how can we in our current condition hope to see the Supreme Lord? That's such an elevated aspiration, uh, one that seems to be beyond my grasp. I can't, I can't conceive how I could possibly reach that stage. It says here, they're terminated when I am seen as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now, this is Krishna talking, so we shouldn't misunderstand the verse to see, think that we see that we're God. That's a misconception. There's a class of transcendentalists who believe that that's the ultimate end in self-realization, to see that they're God. Well, you are God, but you're a little, tiny, infinitesimal particle of that Supreme Personality. And you're an individual and he is an individual eternally. There's never gonna be a time when that individuality is dissipated. There may be a temporary time of merging because the Supreme Lord is so kind that for that class of transcendentalists that think that the ultimate objective is merging into the all energy, they're given that opportunity. They perform their austerities. They aspire to merging with God. And in that aspiration, they actually think that the Supreme Lord doesn't have an existence separate from themselves. They just see the Supreme as energy, as that Supreme Brahman. It's a, it's a stage of realization. They're certainly transcendentalists. The Buddhists, they fall into this class. The Buddhist aspiration is nirvana, disaway. Dis Let me disassociate, disassociate, disassociate. And what's left? Nothing. Nothing means no suffering. It also means another thing, no enjoyment. We're enjoyment. We all seek enjoyment. If you take everything away, 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 nati nati, not this, not this, not this. Well, what's left? Well, for the Buddhist, it's it's all gone. Now I'm free. No karma. No body. No samsara. No rebirth. For someone who has a little more advanced spiritual intelligence. And believe me, these are not spiritual, spiritually ignorant people. They know that this material world is not a place for the soul. They know that the body is not the self. 
they have some realization, but their realization falls short in one big regard. What's left for them when it's all discounted to nothing? When they discount their activities to nothing, they no longer desire to enjoy on this plane. Not wanting to hear, not wanting to see, not wanting to smell, not wanting to taste or touch. They don't want any of that. What's left? What's left is all of the concomitant suffering that comes with that exploitive type of enjoyment. Isn't that how the yogis live? There's also a class of yogis. Mm -hmm. But generally the yogis, they're, they're a little diff different than the jnanis. The knowledgers. The Buddhists fall in the, into, the pla into the class of, of knowledge. Basically, it's close to what we understand in the, in the Vedic scripture as Sankhya. They attain knowledge of the true nature of the self. And that true nature of the self is not this material environment. It's one platform of realization. And the Bhagavad explains there's actually three planes. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Subjate. Brahmati, let me merge into the energy of the Supreme. Paramatmati, let me realize the Lord pervades everything. But that's kind of an impersonal kind of realization. It can advance to the stage of appreciating. And once we come to the stage of appreciation of the Lord, in that, in everything that we see, including ourselves, then we've added a particle of bhakti, of love. And then gradually that can evolve into Bhagavaniti Sabjate, into an appreciation of the Supreme Lord as the source of all spiritual and all material energy. That's what's being spoken of in this verse. The knot in the heart is pierced. The knot that binds us to material existence is pierced. All misgivings. Is anybody here without any of those? All misgivings are cut to pieces. And the chain of fruitive actions is terminated when we can see the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The question is, how do we get to that? How do we see God, the person, the behind all this? The energy is easy to see. I can hear it, the energy. I can see it. I can smell the energy. can taste it, the energy. can touch it, the energy. It's coming. And I know all this energy is emanating from the Supreme. It's coming in the form of the sun, light, the heat. From the rays of the sun coming in the form of rain the rain nourishes the earth and I eat all this energy is there and it's it's giving me my sustenance and it's definitely not, not an energy that I created no one in this room can say I made the sun I made the moon that gives juice to the vegetables I made the air that I breathe I made the water that I drink we didn't even make these bodies that we're in. 
So we can't say that any of this is coming from ourselves. So that is the beginning of our appreciation of the Supreme Lord. That appreciation gradually develops into affection for the bhakti yogi. Beginning with appreciation, developing into affection. When the affection becomes builds to the certain point where we want to surrender fully to just that. And that's what's spoken of here. Just that, inner fulfillment. Inner fulfillment by what? By not looking outside of that relationship with the Supreme as being the ultimate objective of our existence. We may have other objectives. We may have our families to take care for, our better or worse half. We have these things. We have our family. We have our job. We have to interact in this world. But when we put the Supreme Lord at the top of the list, when we reorder the list of our priorities, where that Supreme Personality is at the top, then we will know inner fulfillment. And by working in that way, putting the Supreme at the top of the list, if we work like that, we won't have to work to see God. It's not like a separate endeavor. He will come and want to see us. And that's how we approach devotional service. We're going to chant tonight verse 7 from the fourth chapter. Whenever and wherever there's a decline in religious practice, O descendant of Bart, and a predominant rise of irreligion, at that time I descend myself. So let's go back and try to come up to this verse where we left off last week. The chapter begins with the Lord actually explaining to Arjuna his disciple, the nature of the science of self-realization. And specifically, he puts it in the historical context of how transcendental knowledge descends from the spiritual realm to our realm. The first job of the aspirant spiritualist is to know that there is a distinction between knowledge that can be arrived at by our senses, by empiric, not that empiric knowledge, and knowledge that actually can come from the transcendental realm, from the Lord himself, free from the defects which plague our existence. We have certain things that make coming to the right conclusion troublesome for us. And these are circumstances that come with this material body. And therefore, they're deficiencies that make, make the human species incapable of arriving at perfect knowledge. Now, we try hard to get perfect knowledge. I mean, you ask any scientist, he's in his lab trying to figure out. You ask Newton or 
Einstein. They all work their whole life. How do I understand how the, what's the energy that's holding the planets? Oh, an apple fell out of a tree. What, what created that? Or Einstein. What's that energy that's, that makes one atomic particle so extremely powerful? And how can I harness that energy? So the scientists, they're all working very hard to try to come to a conclusion based on the tools that they have at hand. But the great saints and sages point out to us that the tools we have at hand are imperfect. Our senses are not perfect instruments to acquire knowledge. They're good, but they're just not the best. And they vary from species to species. Uh, we have good eyes we can see. I don't have good eyes. I can't see. But with these, I can see a little better. But I'll never be able to see as good as, as uh, birds of prey. They could see for miles the little critter running in the field from high. They can look down and they can swoop down and, and they can have their meal. I can't see that well. I can't hear as well as a dog can hear. Dog hears sounds. My dog, sometimes, not a lot. Luckily, not a lot. But if there's some siren on a machine, a fire engine, or you know, he'll start howling. I can't even hear it yet, and then it finally I can hear it. But he's already howling. Not only that, he's, harmon he's harmonizing with the vibration. How he does that, I have no idea. I can't even hear it. See? We all have senses, but even some of the animals have better sense perception in particular senses than we do. They don't have the intelligence we do. Do you think there's a reason why our senses are imperfect? Well, it's because of this body. The body's imperfect. How can the senses be perfect in a machine that we're indwelling in that is subject to birth, death, old age, and disease? Mm -hmm. Can't be a perfect. So we have imperfect senses. Don't forget the disease part. <laughs> so this is as good as it gets, you know? In this body. Yeah. But not body. as good as it gets, no. And because we of that, we're in illusion sometimes. Mm -hmm. What we think is water is truly just light bouncing off the sand in the desert so we're accepting that as water and we're running towards it and as fast and as far and as hard as we run it just moved a little bit further away now let me run there it's an illusion it's an illusion imperfect senses illusion we make mistakes because of all this we don't get it right and if there's an easy way, we'll take it. We have a tendency to cheat. Whenever we can get something for nothing, we like that arrangement very much. That's the nature of material existence. So therefore, we're never with these senses going to be able to arrive at perfect knowledge. But the material creation is such that and the Supreme Lord's manifestation is such 
that he gives us knowledge through a perfect system which is pure and unadulterated. At the beginning of this chapter, he's explained to Arjuna how he accomplishes this. God's perfect. The knowledge that he gives is perfect. And he explains this is the way this knowledge is available to you. I impart it. So at the very beginning of the chapter, he says, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Sri Krishna said, I instructed this imperishable, means it doesn't end, this imperishable science of yoga to the sun god Vivishwan, and Vivishwan instructed it to Manu, the father of mankind, and Manu in turn instructed it to Isvaku. The supreme science was thus received through the chain of disciplic succession. That phrase in and of itself implies a lot. First thing it implies is discipline. Those that can receive the knowledge, they have to do so under spiritual discipline. Disciplic succession. A disciple is what? First and foremost, he's a servant. He's a servant. So he follows behind. He serves the master. The supreme science was thus received through the chain of disciplic succession, and the saintly kings understood it in this way. But in, cor in the course of time, the succession was broken, and therefore the science as it is appears to be lost. Now, remember, Lord Krishna is speaking this 5,000 years ago. But last week, we put this into a context that we could understand in our current culture by relating, how, by looking at another saintly person who is either God or the Son of God, however you want to view him, and how in a short span of only 2,000 years, his instructions have now dissipated to where one group of his followers is not in harmony with the other group and the other group and the other group. How many churches are there who proclaim to be the followers of Lord Jesus' teachings? So many. So we can see in the current context of our history in our culture what Lord Krishna is talking about 5,000 years ago to Arjuna. When you leave it to men and men lose discipline, then they let those defects of this material engagement interfere with that pure knowledge. And it becomes lost. That very ancient science of the relationship with the Supreme is told today by me to you because you are my devotee as well as my friend, and can therefore understand the transcendental mystery of this science. According to Wikipedia, there are 3,800 Christian denominations. Yep. Thank you for that factoid. We love computers here. That's probably more like yes. it. Thank you. Very nice. Because what? 
Arjuna has a couple qualifications. First qualification, he's a devotee. Devotee means devoted. When we're devoted, what do we do? As we're told. Disciple. Disciple. What's a disciple mean? Someone who follows. So he's a devotee. And what else is he? He has a friendly relationship with God. His relationship with God is not one of antagonism. It's a friendship. We can have a relationship with God and we may even say that we're following God, but that re a personal relationship with that person is required. And Krishna points it out here when he's telling Arjuna, I'm going to tell you what that science is that lo was lost over time. I'm going to re-instruct it to you now, today. And I'm going to do that because you're a devotee, because you're competent, you're competent to receive the knowledge, and you also have a personal relationship with, you, with me. We know from the study of the Bhagavad that the living entity has a loving relationship with the Lord in one of five primary, well, they're called rasas, loving exchanges. There's neutrality, passive adoration. There is a class of men who are content just to worship God, just to adore Him. There's a class of men that want to go a step further, and women. They want to serve God. They want to do something tangible for His pleasure. So we can adore Him passively. We can want to serve Him as a servant. We can take that sense of service even deeper in affection to friendship. We can want to be his friend. A friend, and you notice as we go through these stages, those that are friendly, of course they adore the Supreme and they serve the Supreme, but they also have a quality of friendship. There is also the possibility of becoming and having a relationship with the Supreme Lord as if the Lord was your child. That's even deeper than friendship because why? The service attitude is complete. You will not find more of a complete service attitude than in the attitude of a mother for his child. Complete surrender to taking care of the child. Familial affection. And you can also have a relationship with the Supreme of intimate loving relationship. Which is considered by the saints and sages the highest relationship. Aspiring spiritualists, we should understand that whatever our relationship with the Supreme is, we will be completely and totally satisfied in that relationship. Whatever it may be. But we do have a relationship that's now covered over that will, by proper cultivation, be revealed to us. It will actually manifest itself. Arjuna said, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold your horses, Krishna. You're in recent history and you just talked about giving this instruction to the sun god Thousands and thousands of years ago. How am I supposed to understand this? 
valid question, isn't it? The sun god Vivashwan is senior by birth to you. How did you instruct him? Doesn't make sense. Valid question. Arjuna's asking. I don't understand. You're here with me today and you're saying that you instructed this science thousands of years ago to the sun god. How does that work? How did you do that? The Supreme Lord said in response to that inquiry, we're up to the uh, fifth verse, many, many births, both you and I have passed. I can remember them all. Unfortunately, you cannot. There's one significant difference there between God and ourselves. He's fully aware. Why? Because he never really takes birth the way we take birth. He simply ma manifests himself. So if we look at the actual Sanskrit words, which we will when we get there, it doesn't say birth. The Lord doesn't take birth. He may appear to take birth. And there's a reason for this. He's so kind, he satisfies the atheists. The atheists want to think that God's one of them. So he may appear like he's taking birth, like one of them, so they can say, ah, oh, see, God, you're saying this is God? There's no God. <laughs> this is just some imposter. The Supreme Lord is so kind that he even satisfies the atheists in his appearance and disappearance. Many, many births, both you and I have passed. I can remember all of them, but you cannot, O subduer of the enemy. Although I am unborn, and my transcendental body never deteriorates, and although I am the Lord of all beings, I still appear in every millennium in my original transcendental form. So here, Arjuna is, is being given knowledge by Krishna as to the nature of his appearance in his original form. Now the Lord comes in unlimited forms. He comes to satisfy his worshipers according to the aspiration of the worshiper. He's that kind. But he does come in his original form once in every day of Brahma. Brahma is the creator of the universe. In a day of Brahma, he comes in his original form as Krishna. We learn from the Bhagavat and from the study of the Bhagavat specifically by Srila Rupa Goswami, one of the great followers of Sri Chaitanya. We learn that there's specific characteristics that the Lord manifests in his original form, over and above the characteristics he manifests in so many other forms. Know that the great sadhus, the great saints, the tremendous seers of spiritual knowledge, those people that are on the platform of pure unalloyed devotional service, some of them are even descending from the spiritual world for our upliftment, just as God comes. They come with him or they come apart from him just for our benefit. They point out the particular characteristics of the 
manifestation of the Lord in his original form. Again, let's go to a simple analogy. The family members and intimate associates of the president know everything about him. The wife understands it all. The most intimate and the most guarded presentation that's given to the public. She has the most intimate knowledge. She understands when the president is acting as the head of state, and she also knows what he likes to eat, the clothes he feels most comfortable in, and other intimate details. The pure devotee, someone who's completely purified themselves, they know the intimate details of the Supreme Lord. And they're so kind that they share them with us according to our qualification. As long as we are attached to enjoyment on this plane of existence, our study of those intimate details should be limited to those aspects of the Lord's energy that manifests this material world. In the beginning of the Bhagavat, we're introduced to the Purusha avatars, the manifestations of the Supreme Lord who create the material existence. Karna Dakshai Vishnu, Garbo Dakshai Vishnu, Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. And gradually, step by step, as one is purified by hearing about the Lord, he can gain more intimate and more intimate appreciations of his transcendental character. That's why the great saints and sages recommend that one go methodically step by step through the Bhagavat, through the Srimad Bhagavatam, and they don't, we don't jump immediately to the 10th canto and try to enter into an understanding of the spiritual rasas, the spiritual exchanges the Lord has with his intimate lovers. Because we're going to look at it the way we look at our love. And that's not the way. It's on a completely different plane. So we have to purify our consciousness to enter into the mystery of those pastimes. But there is no difference. And this is very important for us to understand. There is no transcendental difference. In other words, there's no additional spiritual benefit from hearing how the Lord creates the universe or how the Lord reciprocates the, with the, his most intimate associates in Braj when he displays his pastimes in this material plane. It's all transcendentally potent, equally beneficial to us. That's why you'll see the great saints. They will sit in a class like we're having on Bhagavad Gita and be completely content to hear about Krishna. Their knowledge is much deeper than just yada yadahi dharmasya. Whenever the religion goes away, God comes and rectifies the situation. But they relish that as much as they relish the intimate pastime. <clears throat>
because it's all on the absolute platform. It's all on the transcendental platform. It's an important point to remember. Don't think you're shortchanged by studying Bhagavad Gita or beginning of Srimad Bhagavatam. The time will come when more th intimate things will be revealed, but it's all good. It's all absolute. It's all absolutely purifying. Your heart is becoming cleansed. The knots of material attachment are being cut simply by this hearing. Whenever and wherever there is a decline in religious practice, a descendant of Marx and a predominant rise of irreligion, at that time I descend myself. The great saints and sages have revealed one very intimate detail which I'll share with you. God's material creation is so made and so well managed, he doesn't really need to come down here and set us straight. He's got better things to do and he's got competent agents to deal with the miscreants, the people that are trying to interfere with the progress of mankind in spiritual life. We could see it especially just of late. I mean, my gosh, a little river flowing through the middle of the country can blow away cities, fields, people's homes. God doesn't need to come down and do that. His material energy is competent to deal with any malfeasance on our part. We can be fully chastised by his energies. He doesn't need to come. He can blow us away in an instant. Isn't it? There could be a forest fire and everything's finished. Or we could, he could be so dumb as to inspire one of us to push a button and blow up millions of us. In a second. In a heartbeat. He doesn't need to come for this purpose to reestablish religion. He can send one of his saints, one of his pure devotees, and give them his shakti, his energy like a Lord Jesus Christ, to put things right. <coughs> or as Bhaktivedanta Swami pointed out in his purport to this verse, like Lord Buddha. He came as Lord Buddha in a disguised form. What did Lord Buddha teach? Don't follow the scriptures. Put the scriptures aside. Why did he have to do that? Because man, in his infinite wisdom was using the scriptures to justify killing innocent animals for his tongue. So therefore, God comes in a disguised form and say, you don't need these books of religion because these books are telling you how to kill animals. Can't be spiritual if you're killing animals. Ahimsa. This is my, that was his real catchphrase. That was the slogan that was on the side of his van. Ahimsa. Nonviolence. Don't follow the books of religion and see the, think that you can sacrifice animals and make spiritual life. Throw out those books. Don't worship God according to those books. Of course, he was God. They were really enthralled by his message and very captivated by his form. 
And they started worshipping him. He tricked them. They, he tricked that class of men who were misusing the scriptures into worshipping him and following him. And being God, they received spiritual benefit by that. According to time, place, and circumstance, that's what is pointed out to us by the sages. Krishna's saying, I come whenever there's a decline of religion. But the way I deal with the situation is not always the same. Just as a good teacher's giving instruction regarding the simple principles of arithmetic is different when he's talking to a kindergarten class and when he's talking to the advanced physicists who are working in the laboratory trying to work out complex equations as to how this universe works. They work real hard. They put a lot of energy into it. They have these big chalkboards full of equations trying to figure it out. And they'll finally get it. And a decade later, along comes some other little scientist and he says, nah, let me introduce you to another idea I have. It's like quantum physics. It's like always moving. It's different than what they thought it was. It has another aspect. Space actually curves and time actually is on a different plane. Now, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't understand it. Another decade or two from now, those theories will be replaced by another chalkboard full of equations, and they'll come up with a better solution. Better, faster, stronger. More appropriate. New and improved. New, new and improved. From Newton to... You know, I don't even know the succession of scientists. Hawkins. Yeah. Yes, he's one. So many. So, yada yadahi dharmasya, glanir bhavati. Krishna gives us this playground where we can live in the world of exploitation and enjoy in any way we want. 8,400,000 different vehicles are there waiting for us to inhabit for our enjoyment. You know what I mean by that? Different species of living entities. 8,400,000. A lot. Yes? What if you just want one? What? So what if you just want one? Well, you have one now that you got according to your desire. If you want another one, you can do that. You want to be a bird? And it's funny, we see people. What really brings it home to me is, a, is an understanding of the way mankind becomes so absorbed in a certain form of life. Have any of you ever watched the dog shows? Have any of you ever seen a slight resemblance between the dog owner and the dog that they've put all their energy into? <clears throat> Think about it. Well, Bunny has gray hair. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, but he said that since he was a 
I had great hair at that time, too. So. <laughs> wow. He's right. To deliver the pious. All right? Next verse. He comes whenever the religious principles are broken. And what's he want to do when he comes? He wants to deliver us the pious and annihilate the miscreants. As well as to reestablish the principles of religion. I appear myself millennium after millennium. We understand from the Bhagavad the Lord comes in unlimited forms and unlimited times. Yuga avatars, Manvantaras, Manus. I mean, in so many ways, the Lord advents within this material world to keep things in order. It's not like he just makes this world for us to enjoy without a handbook. And not only does he give us a handbook in the form of the scriptures, which he originally spoke, which are pure and not adulterated by those defects we mentioned earlier. But he also comes down personally to act as teacher. Do people always recognize him? When we read the purport, it said sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Sometimes he comes in some disguised form, like Lord Buddha. When Lord Krishna personally came in his original form, when the Lord came in his original form uh, 5,000 years ago, hardly anybody knew he recognized him as God. Now, there's two reasons for that. One is certain class of men does not have the qualification. And the other reason is those people that intimately love the Lord, their love is so deep in that relationship that the Lord puts them in an illusion so that loving reciprocation will not be hampered. In other words, he also has his internal bewildering potency so his mother just looks at him as her child. Not as God. How, she, how could she suckle God? How, she, how could she chastise God? If she was thinking, oh, I'm, this is God, it would interfere with the loving reciprocation. Or his friends playing with him, having mock fighting. And when I win, I jump on your back and you carry me. And when you win, I carry you. He also has that internal bewildering potency for the intimate disciple, for the intimate lovers. One who knows the transit. Now, this is a great verse. We really need to end it. We're going to end with this. And we'll begin with it next week. We'll chant it. So I'll give you the chanting now. Janma karma chame divyam, evam yoviti tattvata, tvatva deham panar, janma naiti mam iti sorjuna. One who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities does not, upon leaving his body, take birth again in this material world, but attains my eternal abode, Arjuna. It seems so easy. And it is. But we have to understand God in truth. We have to understand what is the nature of his transcendence. 
We can't think that he takes birth like us. But if we can come to that understanding, that in and of itself is sufficient for our developing an affectionate relationship with him and not having to take birth again in this material world. So it entails knowing the nature of God and once you know him, what do they say? To know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. Once you know him, you love him. Who couldn't love him? He's the most adorable. What's Krishna mean? The name Krishna. All attractive. He attracts all of us. So I'll stop there. Any questions? Comments? Mm-hmm. Um, Arjuna means um, is the name of a plant that fixes the heart. So, sad, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting that his name can, you know, it became that after that. Uh, after a salve that comes from a plant yeah, that, 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 that soothes the heart. The heart yeah. Yes. Thank you. Nice. We believe that, but we believe it in a, in a very scientific way. That's one aspect of the Lord. But you, but you're talking about God coming down. I always thought God was everywhere. Yes, He is. So it's it's understood in this way, and it's a very scientific approach that the Vedas give us. It's a chinta beta beta tattva. The absolute truth is simultaneously one and different from his energies. You cannot separate God from his material energy and his marginal energy, which is us, the little spiritual sparks, and his divine personality. I like to think that we are a droplet in the ocean of God. Yes, that's okay. But we also have to understand that aside from being the ocean of God, he's also an individual personality. A chinta beta beta tattva. He's not only the ocean, he's the source of the ocean. He's not only the sunlight, he's the source of the radiance of the sun. In the beginning was nothing but God. And God created with God. Yes, he uh, everything that comes. So that's the that's the distinction and the uniqueness of the Vedic understanding. Achinta beta beta tattva, parasya saktir vividaiva shruyate. That all of the different shaktis, all, all of them are coming from one original purusha who is a person. Parasya saktir vividaiva shruyate. That's a more refined understanding which fully embraces what you're putting forth and also adds the aspect of separate purnam purna udachate that the supreme complete personality of Godhead can have so many manifestations of individuality personality and energy coming from him and they in and of themselves are perfect just as he is perfect. Perfect and complete. God's perfect and complete. And this 
the Upanishads tell us he's not only perfect and complete, but all emanations that come from him, they in and of themselves are also perfect. That's God. That makes sense. Anything else? We're perfect. We're perfect. Unfortunately, at this point in time, though, we're perfect. There's no no one's going to argue with. We don't always act perfect, but we are perfect. We're perfect in our completely purified state. At this point, though. The great saints and sages point out to us that we've allowed ignorance to influence us. Therefore, we must go through a process of gaining back our perfection. It's not really gained back, but we're... It's like, a, it's like, it's like an illusion. We are taking what's not real, this material body, as the reality of our existence. Because of that misidentification, that ignorance on our part, we appear not to be perfect. The process of self-realization is the purifying of the heart, of our, our heart, of our true self, so that we realize this is not the reality of myself, that there is a higher reality. I'll stop there. Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.